2: by the time Suzanne Armstrong and Susan Bartlett moved into their little rented house in Collingwood, they'd known each other half their lives. They'd been close friends since meeting at Benalla High School, a town in northeast Victoria. Friends and family alike, remember, they balanced each other out, vivacious and confident with their own individual style. This probably wasn't surprising. Both families moved around as the kids grew up, so they had a mix of friends. The two Sus, as they were known, were also the eldest in their clans. Suzanne had a brother and two sisters, Susan a younger brother, Martin Bartlett.
3: Yes, we moved to Benalla from a place called MacArthur, which is down in the Western District, where my mother was a housekeeper, and then we moved uh, when I was about six, so Susan would have been nine, ten. And we moved onto a property that was about ten kilometers out of Vanilla. And then from there we moved into the town, which was about three or four hundred metres from the school. And basically, uh, we either rode our bikes or, or walked to school from there. I suppose it's hard when you like you're growing up, you think about what you're going what you're gonna do, but she always thought that uh, she liked instructing, and with after-school things at the high school, she was always sort of participating in um, not just after-school activities, but she was involved with involved with a band in terms of organising things for him.
2: Suzanne's family was even more transitory, as Sister Gail Armstrong recalls. I went to
4: three schools in Benella started off at Benella West and then went to Benella East and then I went to the high school I think Suzanne only went to the high school
2: and as a big sister what what do you remember from those years not a real lot gee was she a good sister bossy boots
4: was no, she no she would have been good she was always good. We we always got on well. Yeah, we all did.
2: Yep. Okay, now when Suzanne first met Susan, do you remember that? Do you recall them together when they were early teenagers, young teenagers? Well, that
4: would have been when she was at high school in Benalla when she met Sue. Yeah, I just remember her being, them being friends and we used to go around there and, oh it was great. She had a lovely mum and Martin, they're a lovely family.
2: The teenagers were growing up at a time of exciting musical change with bands like The Beatles and The Rolling Stones providing a backdrop to broader cultural and political upheaval. And the girls loved it. They even saw the Fab Four perform at Melbourne's Festival Hall in 1964. Gail says there was only one band for her big sister.
4: The Beatles. She saw them. She did and I don't know whatever happened to it but she had a man's shirt that she must have put the Beatles on and they signed it and that disappeared somewhere. How did she get to them to
2: get them to sign it?
4: I've got no idea now, don't know.
2: That was when they were in Australia obviously. Yep. A bit intrepid. Yeah, The two friends actually took the bus from Manila to see the band and they never forgot it, nor did their friends and family.
3: She loved the Beatles. She went when they came, she, she and a group of people from Bonilla, they travelled from Manila down to Festival Hall to see the Beatles. So, yeah, she loved, she loved that style of music and whatever, not so much the heavier side but uh, Carly Simon and, and that sort of lighter style of country music.
2: Susan continued seeing live bands as she studied and eventually started teaching at Broadford, a country town a bit closer to Melbourne. Suzanne was more into alternative theatre and a regular at inner-city venues like La Mama and The Pram Factory. Exploring the world was another passion the two Su's shared and one that would have significant bearing on the rest of their lives. But Gail Armstrong is steadfast in her own down-to-earth description of her sister.
4: Normal, just a normal, she was just normal and and a healthy, she was a healthy girl. So she had had a veggie garden and ate healthy food when healthy food wasn't really what you did. And when you say she had a veggie garden, was that at Easy Street? Mm, I'm pretty sure she did. She didn't have much room there, but I'm pretty sure she had some veggies growing.
2: And the other thing <laughs> that I remember just when you say that, she loved dogs. I remember you talking about that too and she had a dog there. Mishka. And
4: she also had a English sheepdog.
2: While their professional paths took them in different directions once they left school, their shared travel bug brought them back together in Greece when Suzanne met up with Susan in 1974 for an extended break, skipping across the Greek islands. They travelled to Aegina, Delos, Hydra, Mykonos, Paros, and eventually Naxos, where Suzanne met a handsome young fisherman by the name of Manilus or Manny Margaritas. They fell in love and she decided to stay on Naxos, a small traditional isle that was still unfound by most tourists on the island hop. Susan, on the other hand, flew home to Melbourne in early 1975 to pick up a teaching position at Collingwood Education Centre. She was a popular teacher with students and colleagues alike, according to old friend Cavell Zangulus. She also remembers a very different Collingwood.
5: A lot of um, immigrant kids, a lot of non-English speakers and a lot of families who needed a lot of support, really. They weren't coping very well, either for language reasons or income or... And uh, also, you know, the working class Aussies weren't terribly enamoured of education and teachers trying to, you know, suggest things to them. So those were the days. And when
2: Susan Bartlett arrived at the school, did you feel an immediate rapport with her?
5: Oh, yes, yes. We just got on straight away and uh, she had a, a good sense of humour and we were the younger cohort at that stage. There were some really older teachers that, yeah, were a little difficult. The kids loved her because she, well, made them feel real. A lot of them called her Miss B. She didn't stand on ceremony at school or anything. That's why the kids were quite able to call her Miss B. And she was very relaxed.
2: Meanwhile, Suzanne was living with Manny and his family in Greece and not too much later, she wrote to her younger sister Gail with some pretty major news. She was pregnant. Gail was too, so there was double celebration in the Armstrong family. Initially, Suzanne wrote to her sister saying the happy pair in Naxos planned to marry. I'm going to marry Manolis. I've decided it's the best thing to do. I know I won't lead the same sort of life if I was in Melbourne, but it will be a very simple life and I hope I'll have all the comforts and conveniences I want. We won't be living here forever, though. We'd better not anyway. And we've ordered our wedding rings. They're 14 karat gold with fine line. But it didn't take too long for various cultural differences and a maze of international red tape, largely due to her being Australian, to lead to a change of heart. At least on Suzanne's part. In another letter she wrote, Boy, the things I'm not allowed to do here, you wouldn't believe it. I'm not supposed to run an inch, not supposed to sit with my legs crossed or reach up or sit cross-legged on the bed. Maybe they think the baby will fall out. I'm not supposed to lift up my dog Zebby or lift anything. It's really incredible. Her mother and stepfather flew to Naxos to help with the new baby and young Greg brought Suzanne and Manolis much joy. They grew closer. Even so, by the end of 1976, she told him she was taking their new son home to meet her family in Victoria, just in time for Christmas. But as Suzanne explained to Gail in another letter, she bought a one-way ticket home. I know it'll break his heart when I tell him I'm not coming back, but I'll tell him that the best thing is for him to come to Australia. If he makes it there, he will deserve another try. He keeps asking me if I'm coming back, and of course, I have to say yes. It's awful. Susan Bartlett, meanwhile, was having a much less stressful time working as an arts and craft teacher in Collingwood. She loved the inner city vibe around the education centre and enjoyed the short drive from the apartment she was sharing in Richmond in her VW Beetle.
3: Yeah, that was, I think, one of her first cars. It was was sort of one of the original Vulties and uh, she took it to the service station one time and said to the guy, can you check the oil and water? And he said, "Uh, Madam... uh, these cars don't have don't have water. They've got their are air cooled. She didn't. Know, she wasn't really uh, mechanically minded.
2: Once Suzanne returned to Australia, Martin wasn't at all surprised that his sister agreed to share a new house with her and her new son Gregory. But where they decided to rent did surprise him and it upset their mother. After all, Collingwood was a different place to live than the more middle class Richmond, where Susan had such a lovely apartment.
3: It was a very nice, a good spot, right opposite the MCG. And uh, basically, when Suzanne Armstrong came back with the, with Greg Gregory, that she said to Susan, "Look, do you mind if you know we we get a place together?" And and that's what happened. The thing about Collingwood in those days is that, and Fitzroy and all those places were probably a bit more seedy than they they are today. And uh, sort of a lot of undesirables, there. and also there was a in Easy Street on the next, next corner up was a, a pub, and, and it was very much a pub on every corner sort of place. Yeah, it was sort of a bit of a rougher area.
2: So it's fair to say Collingwood wasn't for everyone back in 1977. Ponch Hawks, one of Australia's most respected photographers and a founding member of Circus Oz, grew up in the suburb.
7: When I grew up here in Abbotsford, which is part of Collingwood, really the whole, it was, you know, people called it a slum, you know, that area down near where my folks lived, all the sort of tanneries and things in earlier times had been down there, so it was actually small working class um, houses. But now, of course, it's completely gentrified. You know, I lived there when I was in my teens up till I was, before I went to uni when I was 16 or something, and, of course, now that's a long time ago. But really the suburb, I think, has gone through a lot of changes, especially in relation to, say, somewhere like Johnson Street, which is a street that runs through, and the main shopping strips. It, you know, it's it's seemingly always having a metamorphosis. I guess it was the 70s that um, the whole re- theatre revival in Carlton happened. You know, uh, La Mama and then the people from La Mama established in a bid to have an Australian voice really because theatre in Australia had always been imported from England. People wanted to hear their own stories in their own voice and people set up the Pram Factory as a collective and out of that came, of course, Circus Ours and a whole lot of other small groups. But at the same time, the whole joint was throbbing really. It was throbbing with feminism. I mean, there was, you know, women making films, there was women having exhibitions, there was women artists, there were women making radio programs, there were dancers all the time, there was just stuff on, you know, really a lot of places to go and people to meet. So
2: in Easy Street, they'd been there for four months before this terrible crime occurred, but in the two houses that shared the party wall, there were two sets of single, very independent women. Alona Stevens lived next door, she was a journalist with The Truth. Her housemate was a restaurateur who was running a restaurant with her partner up in Lygon Street in Carlton. And then, of course, there was Susan and Suzanne in the house next door. So they would have fitted in into that scene you've just
7: described. Absolutely. I think that uh, there was such a lot of consciousness raising going on, so that women were getting together to talk about their lives and compare experiences and really discover themselves, if you like, and certainly single women and single independent women were very welcome, you know. They were the bulk of it, really.
2: So the two sus were right in the thick of things as they set up their three-bedroom home in Collingwood towards the end of 1976. And Martin Bartlett often visited his sister in Easy Street.
3: Yes, yeah, so I did. And, you know, we had barbecues and, and whatever, and and it was a sort of a... A good meeting place, uh, very homely in terms of it. To me, the only thing about it was that, that it was on the lane and I think from that, I just thought with a party wall on that side, it was a bit a bit dark. But other than that, no, no, it was a good place.
2: The party wall Martin's referring to is the common wall the two cottages shared running along the hallway. Susan's former teaching colleague, Cavell Zangalis also clearly recalls, the house in Easy Street.
5: The big hallway right down th- to the, you know, open area at the back, which was, you know, the kitchen and basically the living area and then, you know, outdoors to the, the loo and the little backyard. But I remember it was always decorated, you know, there were posters on the wall and lefty ones, of course, you know, anti-war and uh, cartoony ones too. They, they often had cartoons on the fridge, <laughs>
6: Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.
2: While Susan taught, Suzanne took on a couple of jobs, one driving computer data around town in a little navy blue Mazda van, the other babysitting for her employer's wife now-retired community lawyer Judith Pierce.
8: It wasn't a long relationship, but given that she was looking after the children and so we'd spend time together and we would try and reciprocate because she was, you know, a single mother, then it was quite a close and intense relationship.
2: Judith also recalls seeing Suzanne at parties, and describes a singularly independent young woman.
8: She was absolutely beautiful. She had long, long hair and a beautiful face, and she had the most outgoing, friendly, loving personality. And so she was highly sought after by the men. And so one would be having you know, a lovely time and then Sue would come in and it was like the bees around the honeypot. She was probably one of the, you know, very early feminists who lived their life the way they wanted to live their life. And so she didn't, wasn't constrained, I should say, by the norms of the time, which... It's hard to remember, but 45 years ago, a single mother was regarded very poorly by society. She just accepted that she had her life. I mean, she was very determined to live the life she wanted to live and see the people she wanted to see and do the things she wanted to do.
2: Then one morning in that second week of January, 1977, Suzanne didn't turn up to babysit for Judith Pierce and her sister.
8: I was expecting her to come over to my house where I was with my sister and she didn't turn up. So we rang, she didn't answer and then later I drove past her house and stopped outside the house and I had, I had my daughter in the car and... I don't know why and have thought about it a lot to this day as to why I didn't go into the house. And I regret it because our Gregory was in his cot but in lots of ways I'm glad that I didn't see what would have been a horrendous scene.
2: Hearing about the murders was shocking too for Susan Bartlett's friend, Cavell Zangulus.
5: Look, I just had a shiver go right through my body then. I was up on Mount Hotham with some friends. Uh, it was summertime, of course, and we were driving. There were two cars and my girlfriend and I were in one car and our husbands were in another car with, you know, kids and stuff. And um, I had the radio on. And I heard the news flash that there'd been murders in Collingwood. And I can't even remember whether Easy Street had been mentioned, but they did say it was two women. And I just knew immediately who it was. So I hailed the other car and said, you know, I've got to go back. And I, you know, dashed back to where we were staying and rang, then I just, you know, knew it was was them.
2: Martin Bartlett's last visit to 147 Easy Street is even more haunting. He and Susan had arranged a dinner date for Monday, January 10, the meal a big sister's bribe for her brother to fix her stereo. Again, he'd already done it a couple of times.
3: I think the last time was something to do with a speaker in terms of, being disconnected or pulled out or whatever but, yeah, that was the last time I I was uh, over there, was fixing that. My sister liked to cook and uh, more so than Suzanne and whatever, so, yeah, it was good, yeah.
2: And that day she'd been, I think, making a dress too. She was incredibly handy.
3: Yeah, she was very good. She's, she's very good at sewing and... Uh, macrame and, and knitting up rugs and, and things like that. She was very, very good at that and, and liked it.
2: So how long were you there that night, Martin? Do you remember? An hour, no, a couple yeah, of hours? Oh, probably yeah,
3: at least a couple of hours, yeah, yeah. You know, um, in that those days I had a girlfriend at, at the time. She came over.
2: And that night, what was the vibe like? Do you remember that? Was it just a, an ordinary night? You don't yeah, remember well, anything?
3: No, there wasn't... Too, Look, I think um, the weekend before they, they had a party, a house party, of which I can't remember too many of the people that were there but obviously Suzanne Armstrong was there and she had a, a, f- a couple of friends and Susan had a couple of friends. Um, so it wasn't, wasn't a lot of people but some of my friends came and uh, so, yeah.
2: So when you left there was, you didn't notice anything untoward, it was just a normal night?
3: No, just normal. It was one of those things. I, I, I didn't observe anything or wasn't looking for anything or whatever.
2: After dinner, Martin and his sister agreed to catch up the following week. He and his then-girlfriend drove home. And with Greg asleep in his cot, Susan and Suzanne sat down to watch The Sullivans, one of their favourite TV shows. It must have seemed like a quiet end to a relaxed, happy evening for everyone. But three days later... The two Sioux's bodies were found and two families' lives were shattered.
3: My girlfriend rang me at work and said, there's been a murder in Collingwood, they'd found whatever. And I said, OK. So I rang their home and a guy answered and he said, who are you? And I said who I was and he said, "Uh, you better come down here. And I go, can you tell me any more? And he said, no. So that was it. I I sort of was working in Burwood and I thought all the way down there when I drove there. I thought, that's strange, I wonder what, you know. And not, not thinking the worst, but just obviously what could have happened. And when I got there, they, they said basically "I wanted to interview me for, you know, when were you last here, who, who did you talk to, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and then from there it was a matter of going to the police station, whether that was that day or the next day, I can't remember, but, yeah, and then to make a statement.
2: Next time on The Easy Street Murders...
3: She saw him turn and
5: leave with a knife in his hand.
2: And then the car sped off, lights on, heading
4: up
5: towards Smith Street. So she herself was possibly in some sort of danger.
4: Till this day, until I die, I'm convinced there were two killers, not one.
6: Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.